Hi everyone, thank you for coming. My name is Roma Parhad. I'm the program manager for Iranian studies at Stanford. This is our second to last lecture of the quarter. Next week, Hushang Chehabi will be lecturing on Iran and South Africa, and we're happy to be co-sponsoring with the Center for African Studies for the first time. Tonight, I'm very pleased to introduce Dr. Cameron Talatov. Dr. Talatov earned his PhD from the University of Michigan and taught at Princeton University for several years before joining the University of Arizona as a professor of Persian and Near Eastern Studies in 1999. He has received awards for his teaching, which includes courses on classical and modern Persian literature, Iranian cinema, Iranian history, Persian language, and Middle Eastern women's writings. He has authored, co-edited, and co-translated books that focus on issues of gender, sexuality, ideology, and culture. His book, Modernity, Sexuality, and Ideology in Iran, The Life and Legacy of a Popular Female Artist, was among Choice's annual Outstanding Academic Titles and the recipient of the El Yashater Book Award in 2012. If you attended our Beter Prize ceremony in November with Ms. Sharnoosh Parsipur, you likely received a copy of her book, Tuba and the Meaning of Night. Dr. Talatov co-translated both Tuba and Women Without Men, as well as writing the introductions for both books. This evening, Dr. Talatov will be speaking about The Republic of Imagination, Iranian women's best-selling novels, discourse, genre, and academic disciplines. This lecture will provide context for two of our upcoming lectures with Iranian women authors. On April 20th, we will be joined by Bahia Nakshavani to discuss her new book, Us and Them. And on May 4th, Dr. Nima Nagibi will speak about her new book, Women Write Iran, Nostalgia and Human Rights from the Diaspora. But please join me in welcoming Dr. Cameron Talatov. Well, thank you so very much for this introduction. Um, can you hear me? All right. And uh, thank you and Dr. Milani and uh, Stanford University for inviting me to this, to this uh, beautiful campus. Um, this uh, a lecture and uh, the research project is um, in a sense uh, the continuation of what I have been doing for a number of years in regard to the historiography of um, modern Persian literature. Uh, in my uh, previous work, uh, I have devised an uh, analytical model that I refer to and conceptualizes as uh, episodic literary movement. And uh, with that, um, I uh, explain uh, the history of modern Persian literature in terms of a number of um, uh, episodic movements. And by episodic, I meant uh, movements that are not necessarily connected, could be studied independently. Um, as a secular activities um, since um, the late 19th century and early 20th century, the modern Persian literature has been, through these movements, inspired by a number of uh, broader ideological discourses, including uh, a sort of uh, uh, nationalism that focused on modernization of the Persian language, uh, uh, inspired by a uh, sort of uh, socialist Marxist discourse that was introduced into Iranian society in the 1950s, and then uh, after the revolution, inspired and encouraged and promoted by the new ruling elite as a sort of new genre in Islamic writing. 
and perhaps later maybe in response to that um, uh, Islamic literary movement uh, and to the uh, estate discourse we witness the rise of a feminist literary uh, movement. <clears throat> so um, I also in this book um, I devise another um, concept um, uh, analytical uh, model um, that I refer to as a pragmatic uh, response and by that I mean, I mean to explain how each of those literary movements in terms of their ideology in terms of their discourse were in a sense responding to a broader global uh, paradigm for example um, Marxist literature was in a way responding to the uh, rise of socialist writings in the area or in Europe and so on and so forth. So was feminist literary movement in response to the rise of feminism perhaps in many parts of the world in the 1980s. Uh, and one of the questions was after those projects, what is next? So did we end the history of modern Persian literature with a feminist uh, literary movement? Or is there something else? Well, I didn't look for it. I just came across something that I thought it's new. It began actually by reading the poems by the uh, uh, prominent uh, contemporary poet, Simin uh, Bebani. Some of her work were simply different. She, in them, she went beyond feminism, beyond nationalism. You know, she once belonged to the Marxist literary movements. And it was something new about that. But then I also came across um, a number of best-selling novels written by Iranian women in the 1990s, which continued to the um, 2000s. And I noticed that these novels have something in common. They are concerned with a number of sociopolitical cultural issues that were not addressed they were not dealt with in the previous episodes. So I had to come up with the conceptualizations of this new phenomenon. Um, but to talk about some of them briefly, uh, this uh, novel, The Morning After, uh, or Bandal de Khomar, by Fatone Hashseh Zawadi, was a truly phenomenal novel uh, that um, solved all-time records in, uh, uh, in, in the history of, of, of novels in, in, in Iran. Uh, in a very short time, he went through several uh, printings, uh, sold 150,000 copies. Uh, and I didn't follow it until recently because you know, that, that was the first novel that I studied and picked for this um, uh, project. Uh, and as you know, in some of those countries, uh, such as Iran, uh, more than one people read one copy of the book. You know, it's for the whole family. So I would say the readership of this novel was in the millions, um, which is very uh, truly exceptional. Uh, but that wasn't the only novel that gained such a status. Uh, Sahman uh, by Parni uh, uh, Sanipur went through several printings again uh, in a short period of time and every time it sold out 
and it kept being printed and sold until um, the um, presidency of uh, Mr. Ahmadinejad when he uh, banned uh, or his ministry of uh, uh, education or whoever was in charge banned the publication of the book uh, and many other novels like that. Again, Zoya Pirzad, an Armenian-Iranian author, has been bestseller not only in this book, but also in her other uh, uh, books uh, that, that she wrote in, in the late 1990s and in the, in the 2000s. Chen uh, Sadegit, a very short novel, um, and uh, was again a bestseller in any sense. Uh, and uh, 10 years later, they made a movie based on that. Uh, <clears throat> uh, the list goes on. You know, I've at least um, looked at 16 uh, novels uh, that have had the same uh, status in terms of uh, number of, of printings uh, and the number that's, that was sold. Uh, <clears throat> uh, and these are just some of the examples. Of, uh, of the such bestsellers. Um, it wasn't only uh, the uh, uh, highly regarded uh, women novelists uh, who became bestsellers. In the realm of popular novels, which is relatively new for uh, women in Iran to write about, uh, there was Faime Rahimi. And every single one of her many books became a bestseller. And she wrote so many that once was challenged to see if she could pick them all at the same time. And as you can see, she did. Um, and unfortunately, she died a year or so ago. Uh, so my goal in the study of uh, these novels are, first of all, um, <clears throat> I want to prove that a new episodic literary movement has taken shape. And I want to conceptualize it uh, as civil society literary movement. Uh, but I also um, intend to think about a uh, complex tool to explain the complex process of production and uh, consumption. And the reason for that is because in the previous episodes, things were a little bit simpler. Um, the Marxists had their uh, literary devices, they had their metaphors, and there was a readership for them, and they all agreed over the meanings of each metaphor. You know, if a, an author used the word uh, shop, meaning night, the reader would Im immediately uh, take that to mean uh, a reference to the dictatorial uh, situation in, the, uh, in, in society. If the author used the word um, or the metaphor of day or the daylight, it would refer to the morrow of the revolution when it's all freedom uh, all over society. If they use the word uh, uh, forest uh, in a poem, the readers very likely would interpret it correctly as reference to the uh, uh, guerrilla movement that began its activities in the uh, northern, in the Caspian Sea uh, uh, areas. Uh, 
Uh, so these are uh, different now. Uh, these novels are very complex. They involve several different systems in their writing and in their consumption. And finally, I want to re rethink the nature of genre and discipline. Um, some of these goals might be um, too ambitious, and that's why it might be it has been taking me a while. But let's uh, look at the complexity of one of these novels. And this one is uh, The Very uh, Morning After by Haj Sejawadi, published in 1995. Um, the novel uh, has a rather traditional and simple structure, and which is a story within a story. So there's a frame story in which Sudave, an educated daughter of an uh, affluent family, and Noe, her mother, uh, begin the, a conversation. That's the beginning. Okay? And then there is a uh, much larger, almost the entire book, uh, a story which is framed within that frame story. So the book, The Morning After, starts with a scene in which Sudabe, an educated daughter of an affluent family, with an aristocratic background is about to make a decision concerning her marriage. She has fallen in love with a certain young man, but her mother, Nahid, does not approve of her choice. Over my dead body, the mother proclaims. Yet, Sudave is not dissuaded. But finally, her mother suggests consulting with her elderly aunt, Mahbube, who lives with them in their big, beautiful house. However, instead of telling Sudabe what to do, the aunt tells her her own love story. Mahbube's narrative is indeed the main story of the novel, framed by the story of Sudabe's attempt to marry a man in defiance of her parents. The story of Mahbube unfolds fluently, almost to the end of the book, with only a few short interruptions that bring the reader back to the room. The aunt's account is set in the early decades of 20th, uh, 20th century Tehran during the early years of King Reza, 1925-41. Mahbube is the daughter of a wealthy aristocratic family. At the age of 15, Despite having two wealthy suitors and all the restrictions against uh, contact with the members of the opposite sex, she falls in love with Rahim, a worker in the neighborhood's uh, uh, carpentry shop, and eventually forces her family to marry her off to him. Not too long after their grim wedding party, Rahim demonstrates that he is a cruel husband, husband with no respect for Mahbube's family and cultural background. As Mahbube suggests, uh, struggles as Mahbube struggles with poverty and tries to manage her life with the meager amount of money she receives from her family, she has to endure Rahim's increasingly aggressive and demeaning behavior toward her. 
Later she even has to endure the cruelty of Rahim mothers who comes to live with them and soon is in total control of their life and the house and their child. <laughs> the child ends up dying in the pond because of the mother-in-law's negligence. Seven years after her marriage to Rahim, Mahbube revolts again. She beats Rahim's mother, sets the house on fire, and escapes to a relative's house. Reluctantly, her father takes her back. Mansur, an original suitor who is now married to an unsightly woman, asks for her hand. Mahbube accepts to marry him and devotes her life to rearing of Mansur's children, one of whom, you guessed it right, Nahid becomes her brother's wife and Sudabe's mother. <coughs> Mahbube's story finishes and we're back in the room. Even though Mahbube never tells Sudabe what to do, her recounting of her mistakes serves indirectly to provide her niece with sage advice. And Sudabe yet remain, remains undecided. Uh, critics have tried to attribute the success of the novel to a population increase, literary, literacy increase, or the economic recession that provided empty hours for people to fail. Some say that the novel has become popular among women because it satisfies their test. They refer to that as Banu Pasan, as if Banu is something bad. <laughs> Others have declared that the novel, uh, a mediocre uh, work of popular novel genre, that simply founded accidental success. In most cases, these critiques read it as an abhorrent novel that upholds a class-based society. They ascribe to it an aristocratic culture an anti-modern attitude, a nostalgic desire for traditional culture, or a tendency to offer a universal lesson to young girls to accept arranged marriage. I believe <clears throat> that the success of such novels, not only this one, all the similar ones, I, I get a chance, I'll talk about some of them here, is more than anything else related to their subtle oppositional discourse, a liberal democracy movement against the state theoretical, theocratical and sexist ideology, which has become the target of women novelists and bloody points of contention for the reformist movements as well. The conflict turned into a war over the use of the Persian language in the 19, late 1990s indeed, and how la the language is related to such seminal concepts such as democracy and civil society. To be sure, historically, a novel's critical approach to dominant discourse of its time often explains its success. So Washun by Sivin Danishwar, Kalidar by Dolat Abadi, 
all of them contain that oppositional discourse. But uh, critiques don't agree on the reason for its success, as I mentioned. They also don't um, agree on its meaning and concept. Golshiri and Vakilib, both with leftist or Marxist tendencies, condemned the book based on class analysis approach, a class analysis approach. Kabiri is bold in her assertion that this novel promotes feudalism. Payoffarin uh, further states that the author promotes class struggle through this novel, but she presents the privileged class as possessing culture, patience, good looks, good thinking, good temper, and good language. The debate became so hot that another novelist, Nahid Pejwak, rewrote this story from Rahim's point of view and called it The Night of Mirage in 2000. And that too became a bestseller. Scholars outside Iran have also written about that book. Some uh, read the story allegorically and as a rejection of Reza Shah's modernization and a call for return to tradition. Ferdowsi believes that the novel illustrates the defeat of an intellectual project that sought to combine modernity and Islam, a project that culminated in the 1979 Iranian revolution. Working off Ferdowsi's vast analysis, others summarized several readings of the novel into categories of resistant readings. One writes, if one is to read the novel as political allegory, it seems to me it would be more persuasive to move from the allegory set up with the novel itself. And by that she refers to the widely noted utterance by Mahbube saying, outside the home, outside the house, Iran had just embraced Reza Khan and I was craving for a carpenter worker. She correctly uh, also, the critique, insinuates that readers, especially young ones, find references to the love affairs appealing as they try to understand the book's lesson. That's a brat. And that's another category of explanation of what it is. Um, advice book. Said Jawadi herself, has espoused uh, 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 this notion in numerous interviews since the success of her work. However, she indicates that her intention was simply to depict, to depict marriages that go wrong due to the couple's cultural differences. But why is the above statement by Mahbube about Iran and Reza Shah so important and why do critics use it to support the contention that the book is anti-modern allegory or to support the interpretation that the work manifests supports for the state ideology. That means the current state ideology. <clears throat> the way this statement works for them is as follows. <clears throat> In the pre-revolutionary popular novels 
or in stories uh, serialized in popular magazines, often like the commercial movies of the era, a young man or woman would rebel against his or her uh, stubborn uh, rich family by refusing to marry his or her family's choice and instead marrying the beloved who belonged to a poor family. This tended to indicate a sort of modernity because it undermined the traditional arranged marriage and conveyed a sense of young people's independence. In the end, the parents would realize that the youth were right and that the right virtue is to comply with the desire to change tradition. But this novel is the very opposite of the pre-revolutionary popular fiction that rejected the traditional pre-arranged pre marriage and celebrated uh, elopement. <clears throat> in, the above, in the above allegorical reading, then, Rahim is supposed to represent Reza Shah's modernity. <clears throat> While in class conflict analysis, he represents the working class. The novel is then read against either modernity or the working class. Both readings analyze the novel vis-a-vis -vis the time in the novel, which covers the early years of Reza Shah's rule. Ferdowsi extends that time to the end of the Pahlavis. In the early years of Reza, uh, Reza's rule, Iran was about to uh, repudiate the traditional culture of the Rajar dynasty to embark on a project of westernization and modernization. He had foreseen for his society. Mahbubez's statement allows the critiques of Bamdad Khomar and the morning after to think that Iran made the same mistake in embracing the new king as Mahbubez made in marrying Rahim. The perceived comparison is that she was doomed in that marriage and regained happiness only when she returned to her traditional family, as did Iran when it again embraced tradition in the 1979 Islamic Revolution. However, <coughs> the text does not support these assumptions. I explain why. Even the passage on Reza Shah does not absolutely suggest that Iran made the same mistake that Mahbubet did. It does not suggest that both experiences were doomed to fail. There is no evidence that for Mahbubet, her family was equal to tradition. This is very important. There is no evidence that for Mahbubet, her family was equal to tradition and Rahim was equal to modernity. The contrary should be more acceptable to readers. Rahim lacked culture, and Reza Shah promoted all cultural aspects that are dear to Mahbubeh and her family. Rahim limited Mahbubeh in all aspects of her life, but Reza Shah granted women many freedoms, including the choice not to veil. Mahbubeh's criticism of Rahim is always focused on culture, literacy, education, and social conduct rather than nature, wealth, and nobility. Everyone who reads poetry and books seems to be 
respected in the eyes of Mahbubeh. For example, her parents compete with each other in reciting poetry by heart. As regards wealth, even Nahid says she does not mind that the man Sudabe loves is from a poor family, but wishes that he could be more open-minded. Several recurrent characters are poor, but are highly respected by the family, page 19 and 85. Women relatives are often harshly portrayed, demonstrating that even high society women did not enjoy independence and equality, page 231. All of this uh, indicates that we cannot read the novel as glorification of the wealthy class or a condemnation of modernity. The fact is that the allegorical reading of the novel is not the only option, as the critics of the novel likes us to believe. Therefore, the connection between story and the social discourse of the time of its publication might in fact answer all these questions. The very first page reveals that the story is what, what the story is about. There, the mother's argument against marriage foreshadows the story of Mahbubeh. In response to Sudabeh asking why an educated girl cannot decide for herself, the mother says, yes, she can. Today's educated girls can choose a husband by themselves. She has to. However, she should not marry a boy who easily quits school and goes after his father's business. She should not marry a man whose father does not send his son to school, believing that money is only in the construction business. She should not marry a man whose father does not know how to sign his own name and whose mother only knows how to gossip or intrude in other people's life. Throughout page through one to through two. As we will see, this annunciation will be important in understanding the nature of the social and cultural discourse that informs the plots of the book and also in understanding the reason that promotes a response in form of another novel, which is Shabbat Sarab, the night of marriage. Of course, as we'll see, there are the elements of love and lust in the early parts of her story and elements related to oppression and resistance in the latter part, parts of that <laughs> that add to the uh, external motivation and the desire to read such work. It would not only be allegorical, but also reductive reading to ignore all these elements and the book's connection with uh, social realities of the time of its publication. One is favoring literature, but reducing it to a literary world, particularly literature produced in a politically and culturally dynamic society such as Iran, where meanings are always concealed in metaphorical semblances. This is what Bakhtin's methodology for the study of novel also teaches us, that the genre takes place in the full light of the historical day. Bakhtin's dialogic here is not limited 
to their response in the night of mirage, but also in the way language conveys the contour of the world, the words in their uh, pictorial and intonational qualities, the way words are echoed in the reader's minds. Moreover, the novel presents some Persian traditions as almost in terms of modernity and certainly in a positive light. On page 34, for example, Mahbubeh's family have learned to decorate their house based on Western styles. Page 40. Further, the portrayal of Nasreddin Shah, the Rajar king, with his handlebar mustache on the body of the tulip oil lamp on the mantle in Rahim's room, looking down on Mahbubeh in a condescending manner is also suggestive. If the Rajar king were to be preferred over King Reza, it would have to be presented in the father's house. Right? However, the father's house where no abuse was ever going on is filled with features that remind us of King Reza's glorification of the past and his aspirations for the present. Some of the things Mahbubeh does not like about Rahim's lifestyle are related to the issues that stem from the lack of what is perceived as a modern urban lifestyle, such as proper etiquette or manner. The way Rahim and his family members slurp their tea loudly from the saucer, page 99, 199, the poorest style his mother uses to speak and her unsavory body language, the way she sits the way she cannot even understand what a lotion can do to dry skin, and the way Rahim looks at other women. All evidence. The lack of culture is therefore the essential part of what makes people like Rahim to cruel, so cruel to themselves and to those of other classes. <coughs> the qualities that Rahim lack are often associated with westernized urban families in the book. <laughs> there is yet another fundamental problem in reading this story as allegory against modern aspirations and, and against the background of early 20th century Iran under Reza Shah, <laughs> whose son Muhammad Reza Shah was toppled during the 1979 revolution. It totally ignores the context within which it was written and published. In the, if the novel is read against the contemporaneous context, that is the 1990s, one may see the reflection of the current literary discourse. It is indeed imperative to do so. Nancy Armstrong, analyzing Jane Austen's Pride and Prejudice, writes, around the time Austen wrote the novel was being defined by Scott Barbold and others in a way that gave meaning to such narratives whose resolution depended on marriage. The novel was identified with fiction that authorized a particular formal domestic relations. Armstrong's belief is perhaps based on the possibility of the radical and egalitarian sexual contract between novel's two central characters, Bennett and Darcy. Within the domestic space, a contract 
that would not be possible in civil space. Perhaps even more relevant is Emily Bronte's Woodring's Heights, which is highly connected with the notions and constructions of liberty and has a strong thread of religious fundamentalism, of which it does not approve, associated with uh, brutishness. Finally, all of these comparisons confirm Habermas's distinctions between private and public and the relationship between this distinction and the emergence of modern, uh, modern bourgeois society. <coughs> I have to add that the tension between the public and the private in today's Iran is so grave that, as I have predicted, the nation is now facing massive psychological issues. In this comparison, if these comparisons stand, what contracts and form of domesticity is reinforced by the morning after? Mahbube finds this hindrance to her privacy, space, and sanity coming from her parents and more so from the crooked man whom she has married and even from the primitive architectural features of their small house. Her family actively bans her thereafter. And even worse, her husband, along the line of strident male-dominated culture and patriarchal tradition, persists in limiting the space of the new bride. To some extent, he appears to understand that his wife is determined to create more space for herself when she slaps him on the face towards the end of the novel. This happens after Mahbube leaves him. And in the final encounter, Rahim goes to her father's house to convince her to change her mind and to, return to, uh, to return to him. But she slaps him on the face so hard that his nose bleeds. Then. To Mahbube's surprise, he kisses her hand and says, I love this tiger, not the helpless baby sheep that I had in my house. Her response is also revealing. Then, in your eyes, I was a sheep. If a woman consents, you call her a sheep. In this sense, the story of Mahbube represents Iranian women's ongoing negotiation for more space, albeit not as successful as the one conducted by fictional characters in English novels such as Austin's work. Mahbube rebels against the limitations her family place, places on her, only to face incomparably more severe ones by her husband. Her situation reveals that she even suffers psychologically and physically from her husband's polygamist venture. And polygamy, by all indications, had never been the subject of social and political debates as substantially as it has been in the last few decades. As polygamy gained legal sanctioning of the religious, uh, of the religious status, uh, state, after the 1979 revolution, it became a powerful public and private weapon 
in the suppression, suppression of women. So this had nothing to do with the Pahlavi era in that sense. If the polygamy is condemned in the, in the book, in the novel, or portrayed negatively, then we have to rethink its oppositional status vis-a-vis -vis which uh, power. Just as Pahlavi's authoritarian policies and the promotion of feminism from above structures literally discourse that concealed itself mostly with social rather than gender issues in the years prior to the revolution, the Islamic Republic is an unequivocal attack on what it considered the influence of Western decadence on women and the implementation of gender-specific polities provided a new discursive context for literary production, which influenced the course of cultural change in the late, in the late 1980s and the 1990s. We are currently witnessing a new literary development in the works of feminist and reformist authors one that is closely related to the civil movement and to the cultural aspirations of a young new generation of Iranians who are more determined to reject the culture of violence, destructions, terror, and poverty. The civil society literary movement as a new episodic literary movement has been reflected in or supported by the other novels that I mentioned earlier. In all of these novels, the issue of the use of the Persian language plays an important role in constructing the struggle of women with one or another aspects of life in, <coughs> in a situation that is directly or metaphorically linked to the contemporary events. The novels and journalistic writings since the 1990s no longer glorify poverty and suffering. To the young population, that idealistic discourse turned out to be reductive and badly imagined, lacking eloquence, nuance, variety, range, <coughs> amplitude, tone, voice, and precision. They instead crave poetry, civility, rock bands, weblogs, and exciting movies. They imagine a highly modern lifestyle. Their parents, totally alienated, were exposed to all Ahmad's discourse, which eventually led to the radicalism and uh, militancy. But the current generation, like Mahbubeh's niece, Sudabe, wants to think before it acts. They imagine rather positively a republic based on civil society. In the morning after, each character has a language indicative of his or her own culture, cultural and class background. Rahim, for example, frequently uses expletives and, and, other, and otherwise macho and misogynistic slang. He does not hesitate to call his wife all manners of names. Any woman who has experienced domestic violence in the context of the country's social and economical crisis will be familiar with Rahim's words or phrases. And Rahim's mother uses this same language when in a, an outburst Mahbubet tells her that she is embarrassed to have such a husband, the mother-in-law challenges with, are you questioning him manhood, his manhood? 
By including such conversations throughout the novel, Hajseh Jawadi attempts to attribute Rahim's brutishness to his culture, nature, and upbringing. And to be fair, if you want to look for a, a typical uh, uh, language used by Rahim in the political structures of Iran in uh, 20th century, where do you go? Um, uh, I'm not going to uh, uh, argue, uh, make an argument about whom to refer to. I want to refer to actually a prominent uh, journalist by the name of Akbar Ganji, who uh, in 2000 uh, wrote a series of, of, of articles criticizing then President uh, Rafsanjani for the use of a vulgar language. Uh, when you read Ganji's examples uh, uh, of uh, what he considered a bad language, a violent language, uh, you see uh, and, 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 and all language, all examples come from uh, then Rafsanjani, who hadn't really turned to be a reformist yet back then, um, and his uh, uh, colleagues. Uh, he uses the, the, the examples from, from the ruling elite. Uh, nowhere uh, you can find any such language in, uh, in uh, uh, whatever documents has remained of, of, of Reza Shah. So, uh, in, uh, and, and that language indeed was perfected by President Ahmadinejad. You know, everybody is, 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 uh, is, is familiar with that. You know, I don't attempt to translate those as an example because they're not translatable. And, uh, so in that regard, in terms of the, for the significance and the centrality of, of the, 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 the Persian language and its connection with power, uh, we can uh, actually uh, conclude that the, the, the novel is set against uh, uh, against the uh, its contemporary uh, context, against the time when it was written and, and published, not the time within the novel, which refers back to the early 20th century. Uh, um, these other books, um, novels, um, they also more and less. Uh, talk about the same thing, and, and by things uh, I could I could divide it into made two major categories. Although the agenda seems to be similar, and that would be the promotion of a sense of uh, civil society. Uh, some um, talk about the past, like uh, the morning after. For example, my share uh, is. Um, a, a re, uh, recounting of, of the, the revolutionary process. Uh, it's really a, a, a detailed uh, historical um, retelling of how people, individuals, evolved into their <laughs> political ten tendencies, either to become a, a, a supporter of the new ruling elite or uh, the support of any of the uh, oppositional uh, organizations, some of which were uh, violent. Uh, and in it, too, the, the running theme is the, that lack of space for women amongst all these issues. Um, indeed, um, 
you know, for those of us who followed the revolution or witnessed the, the revolution, um, it's, uh, it seems that the book seems to be uh, a, 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 a pictorial uh, re-representation of, of the revolutionary event in all its accuracy. And, I, um, and the only reason it was uh, able to be published it was because it was during the reformist movement, you know, during the President Khatami, who encouraged publications, you know, um, cultural productions and so on and so forth. There wasn't that much censorship going on. And then immediately, of course, after 2005, with the ascent of President Mahmoud Ahmadinejad to office, it was banned. Now, the other novels, they sort of imagine um, uh, a situation in which civil society has been achieved to some extent. Uh, for example, Zoyab Pizad, Adad Mikon. Uh, in it, the pr protagonist uh, inherits a, uh, a real estate business. How unlikely that is. You know, a woman to run a real, it's a very male-dominated business in, in, in Iran. Traditionally, only men ran, uh, ran those, uh, those businesses. And then she inherits once, and instead of selling it or giving it up as people were telling her, she decides to manage it. And she turns it into a very highly successful business. And in the process, she dates, she falls in love with the man, she doesn't want to necessarily get married with the man, but she wants to date him. And the daughter is even more modern, they challenge each other, they blog, they email each other, they text each other, and so on and so forth. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's, uh, it, it might not be, all of these things might not be likely or might be likely for only a, 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 a segments of the, the population or might be possible but with some difficulties. But in the course of this story, all these things are taken as granted. You know, it establishes that ideal. It imagines that an ideal um, a civil society and strives to correct it even further. Whatever that imagination or perception is might not be in accordance with what civil society might mean in other parts of the world. Now, um, uh, 40 years or, or being 40, very short novel, is about a, a female musician. She used to be a student of music uh, and uh, uh, was in love with one of the classmates who was also a musician, but that classmate, you know, the man moves to Paris where he becomes a famous composer. And uh, she uh, stays in Iran and she gets married and then she doesn't continue her education. So it's mostly about uh, a, a woman who's feeling sad, unfulfilled. And then the story revolves around the man, the first love coming back to Tehran uh, to give a concert, and she is in charge of organizing uh, the event. And so there's tension, there's, um, the, uh, you know, current husbands, you know, realize that yes, she still has feeling for that man. Her uh, very beautiful, cute daughter also finds out about this, but everything works in a very civil manner. Every, you know, they have discussions, they have debates, you know, um, uh, um, there's no honor killings, <laughs> there's no beatings, and there's no Rahim. Uh, <laughs> so, um, 
in conclusion, uh, this study indicates that the, these novels collectively resist the uh, imposition of the state's discourse. In fact, in all different literary episodes since the late 19th century, literature has been used as a locus for resistance. However, women's bestsellers of um, especially the last two decades share a conscious and mature notion of cultural resistance, which was largely absent in the previous periods. These novelists strive rather shrewdly to circumvent the state's um, uh, sense of cultural uh, relativism, of secularism, and um, I'm sorry, to reject the abhorrence of, of cultural relativism or uh, of secularism and of women's uh, causes by advocating the separation of the public and private sphere for rel from religion and political power. As Gramsci argues, the revolution is no longer an armed war but is rather an ideolo ideological battle between ideas. And in the case of Iran, women are no longer after the revolution. Rather, they advocate reform. Their agenda is concerned more with culture, language, and civility. In these novels, of, i.e. this episode, the issue of the use of the Persian language plays an important role in constructing the struggle of women with one or another aspects of life in a situation that is directly or metaphorically contemporary. In fact, to expand on Gramsci's thought, <coughs> a revolution is also a battle over the use of the language. Novels since the late 1980s, for example, no longer glorify poverty and suf uh, suffering. They dismiss the state's propagandist and duplicious use of such glorification. To the young population, like the fictional Sudabe, the idealist discourse of the return to the origins and the notion of classless society promoted by uh, all sort of leftist discourse, revolutionary discourses, turned out to be reductive and poorly imagined, lacking eloquence and nuance and precision. Uh, the project shows that these novels, their author and their readers are at the heart of a new social movement that aspires for social and personal freedom and for civil society. Thank you very much.